Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffey. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. Today's episode, we are talking about one of my favorite topics, sales and marketing alignment. And for that, I decided to bring in an entire cast of characters. First off, we've got Joe English and Chris Goad from 360 Consulting. Their resumes and the sales leadership achievements that they've been able to drive in their careers is remarkable. Then on the marketing side, it's me and Daisy McCarty talking about marketing strategy and how we align to drive sales performance. And Kyle is mediating the whole discussion to make sure that we stay practical and actionable for you. You are definitely going to have things that you can act on right now after this conversation, but we definitely threw in a few things that is probably going to make you think very differently about how you're structuring your growth and what you need to do in the long term as well. Let's just go ahead and dive right in. Chris Go, Joe English, welcome to Corporate Caffeine. Thanks. Thank you for having us, Daisy. You know, the last time I was on, it was virtual. This time it's in person. I like in person better. Definitely. And of course, alongside me and Kyle, we have our co-host special guest which would you prefer daisy special host there you go definitely the specials we are special host daisy and so that means we are talking sales and marketing on this podcast which is my happy place because usually we chase squirrels and talk about success and growth at large in the business world but today we're going straight to the heart of both of our masteries so we're marketing meets sales or misses sales and uh, what's happening in both of our worlds. So let's dive in. Awesome. Okay, so you guys have a unique model that when you're looking at sales, you're not just talking sales training or you know anything specific. I mean, you guys really seem to take a holistic. So let's start there. Like explain to us like, how do you guys approach, you know, really fortifying the sales system for companies? Well, you said it, you know, sale, the, most companies need a system. They need uh, a sales engine, if you will. And um, that's kind of how we approach it. That's the, that's the process that we undertake. And we're, we're looking at four key areas. We want to make sure they understand their ideal customers and who aren't. You know, they've got great value proposition. They understand that. They're working with their marketing on messaging. And they really have a defined go-to-market strategy. Then the second bucket is really everything from lead to long-term account management and all that lies in between. What, are, what is the process for that? And how do, you, how do you know how to do it? How do you know how to teach it? How do you know how to hold people accountable to it? And how do you make it better and better and better every day? Most clients we work with, there's great opportunity for improvement there. Um, and then people, how, you know, who do you need on your team? What are the actual roles on your team? Sales is different today, even than five years ago. Oh, yeah. That most companies need to they need to change the positions and the roles on their teams. Um, so you know, we find great opportunities there with a lot of people we work with. How do you compensate them? How do you motivate them? How do you train them? All the people stuff, and and there's always work to be done uh, when we're working with clients there, and then. You know, gosh, how do you manage all this stuff? You know, how do you hold a sales meeting that people like 
actually want to come to. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I've sat through some pretty awful ones. And I've been to some that I'm like, ah, oh, I yeah. wish we could do more of these. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we, we, we help people with the right agenda, how to have a, a, a great one-on-one -on -one with people on the team. Um, and then what are the KPIs and metrics and all that stuff? And it's a little different for every business. We kind of meet them where they're at and make sure that we help them find the right stuff. But um, once you once you build that engine, then you've got to keep it running, right? You got to be able to drive it. So I'm kind of laughing. There's so many things I want to unpack, but wait, metrics. So it's not just it's not just how much did you sell. <laughs> that's, that's a metric. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's the ultimate one. Yeah. But I'm like, what? There's an S at the that's, end of that word. That's the lagging indicator everybody worries about. We worry more about the leading indicator. Oh, bravo! I could not agree more. You know, it. Oh gosh, I'm going to have a hard time not chasing squirrels on this podcast <laughs> because you were talking about the handoff and the system and then what the people are doing in there. So. Before I go crazy, Daisy, what catches your attention about this? Uh, definitely the process part, because I think there's so much sales coaching out there to help people get better when they're in front of a client, but not a lot about how do you use your CRM the right way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I have this one speaking piece that I do on marketing return on investment, which is mm -hmm. tricky. Like you do not build that just overnight, like poof, just because there's an attribution model that's very difficult to find. But one of the things I challenge a lot of leaders on is that they're setting their marketing teams up for failure and marketers are setting themselves up for failure because marketing talks the language of marketing, impressions and conversions and followers and this, this, that, and the other marketing qualified leads versus sales qualified leads, which makes people on executive teams want to glaze over mm -hmm. because executive teams talk PL. Finance is the language of business. So that's a huge piece. But in the middle of this, I usually have marketers in the audience alongside their executive leadership team. And every single time that lead handoff conversation comes up, I mean, everybody's getting mad around the brokenness <laughs> in language and they're getting mad about that process piece that Daisy just brought up around how do you know it's working and whose responsibility is it and what happens when something's flowing through? I mean, and then the technology, you know, like what are you supposed to do with it if it's not communicating, you know, through the whole system? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. So it's so interesting. I'm just sitting here thinking Joe and Joe and I both were working with a client recently and they had good, not your kind of good, but they had decent marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, not like not the blender. Oh, here we go. <laughs> this is not a faded door. No, this is not. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, but but they they did. They were they were generating leads, right? But marketing qualified leads, as you say. Yes. You know, and when we started digging in, um, and there was frustration. There was frustration from the CEO. There was a little bit of frustration from the marketing folks who had built all of this great content and all these things to create these leads. And, and you know, Joe and I started kind of peeling back the layers of the onion and, and we realized that, you know, you're creating leads. They're just not really qualified. Right. Yeah. And you don't have a process, you know, to be able to actually qualify these so that you can feed that back into marketing and help them understand how they can improve what they're doing 
And I, you know, it's one of the things you and I talk about. The first time we ever had coffee together, yeah. I think we were in, somewhere in Grapevine. I think so. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, we just had this instant like, oh my God, I'm so glad to meet you because I believe in sales and marketing really being collaborative, right? And yes. that we get these feedback loops so that the content that you create can be better. The messaging that you create, you get feedback on. The leads that are created are actually responded to and in a coherent way. Um, and tie all that stuff together because there's just so much power in that. Yes. All right. So I know this is a really hot topic for you lately. You've been wading through the lead generation pool on behalf of your clients a lot and have found a couple of different things, you know, with different client scenarios. Um, you want to talk about that Shark Tank? <laughs> sure. Definitely there's a, a challenge with with feedback between sales and marketing in terms of we can't just toss leads over the fence, you know, that we look at and say marketing qualified and then find out, you know, three months later that sales are like, we don't get any leads. And they're actually just not telling us these aren't the leads that we need. This is why these are the characteristics so that we can tweak the marketing messaging to attract more of the right people and weed out those people because there are lots of ways that you can actively deter the wrong leads from clogging up your pipeline. Yes. And simply at, in terms of sales enablement and support, if sales are not letting us know what product or service a prospect is interested in, we can't build the nurture follow-up for them to use to deploy. And this is something that salespeople would really love to have if they understood that it's available to them is, yes, they don't have to be the only person who individually emails every single person right. on their contact list. We can build repeatable, automated solutions that are like their little virtual assistant out there sending out messages on, on their behalf, but we can't do that unless we have the information. That information has to be in the CRM, and then we can act on it. Yes, totally. Yeah. So... It, that's exactly the same client Chris was talking about earlier. We actually help them understand that in that process from unqualified to qualified lead, going through discovery, and then is it an opportunity yet? No. So there's a feedback loop back into marketing. So then it cycles back through as a lead to go into different nurture campaigns. And we built three different nurture campaigns depending upon where they fit. Nice. So... When that's not there, that's the swing and miss of marketing and sales not being aligned. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we've had a lot of conversations recently with clients about email is a lead generation tool because sometimes there's a gap between when they first raised their hand said, here's my name, here's my real legitimate email versus I have ability and urgency to buy in a designated timeline and authority, right? That, that is not always this clean, tidy little <laughs> place. Like, that's the murky, messy middle. And that is absolutely where it's got to be clarified because anytime there's a team just screaming at marketing going, more leads, more leads, more leads, you know the fastest way marketing does that? They just turn it all over. Yeah. So they just go, all right, well, here's everybody that's pinged our website at all in the last six months. Have fun. Hmm. And that's not that's healthy. Ugly. Okay, not healthy. hold on a minute. I'm going to tap the brakes on this conversation. <laughs> Have you guys always had this mindset around marketing and sales alignment? Because in a sales background, I used to walk in the meetings and look across the room and see the marketing team. There would only be a few of them. We're the ones who sell. We're the ones who sell this. You only help out just a little bit. 
now that I'm on the marketing side and get to understand all these things a little bit, I'm like, oh, now I see how this works. You guys are like, oh, no, that's just we, the way it's always been. You're remembering <laughs> the, the good Gary leads, right? The good leads. Yeah, 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 yeah. The ones I created on my own, those leads. You know, Kyle, yeah. you, make a great, you make a great point, but I, you know, and I, it's really interesting that you kind of bring this up. First of all, I was very successful in the corporate world because I went to the CEO and said, I'm going to be your best friend. I'm going to tie revenue to everything you do, and you're going to love me. <laughs> there it is. Yes, I'm going to love you. But in today's in today's business world, I think we uh, we have to look at we have, we have to look at sales and marketing more together than ever before because it truly is. And we we we've st we've started to talk about revenue operations. You know, you heard us say sales engine. You know, we're going to be continuing to evolve because the world is evolving and we have to revolve with it. Evolve, not revolving, evolving, sorry. But, you know, we have to continue to evolve with the world. And, you know, I, I say this very, kind of tongue-in-cheek all the time. The great news is we have all these different ways to communicate with our customers and our prospects. Like, we've got way more than ever before. And the bad news is we have all these different ways to communicate yeah, with our customers yeah. and our prospects. And you're supposed to use them well. Yeah, you're, also, you're supposed yes. to be great at all these yes. things, right? And how do you tie it all together? Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, but um, I think that we, we, we really do, uh, we have to look, business owners have to look at it, have to look at it together now. Yeah. And, and yes, they're different disciplines, you know, um, you know, we're not, we're not great marketers, we're great, great sales guys, but we understand what great marketing looks like. We understand how important it is. And, uh, you know, I think you'd say the same thing, right? You, you're probably not, you're probably good at sales. You might not be good as good as I said, helping clients with their sales function, but you know what great looks like. Sure. And so that's, that's what we, that's what we have to do is, as we continue to move through this progression um, in the in the ever changing world of you know B two B marketing and sales, it's going to get closer and more together as we go along. It's just inevitable. Yeah, yeah. You guys both have a lot of experience with big powerhouse brands, smaller brands. Like, what is your ideal client as far as three sixty consulting? Yeah, it's uh, we're in the SMB space, and that that's a broad definition depending upon yeah. the audience you're talking mm -hmm. to. But we kind of think about it in terms of ones, one to 100 million, right? A $100 million revenue client would be a larger client for us. Um, but then again, it depends on what they do and how many people they have, et cetera. The bigger the company, they have a whole sales process and engine and everything. And they probably don't need us to help them figure out that go to market, their people, their process, and then their execution of that. The smaller companies do. Startups can be tricky because they're maybe just not there yet. But uh, it's all about growth. Typically, owner-operated B two B, where they have a you know kind of a, a solution consultative selling model versus transactional selling model. Uh, we're giving that CEO who's also handling sales because he started the company. Yeah. Probably the best salesperson there. But he's got nine other hats to wear. We're giving him some of his life hats. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's kind of mostly B two B. We dabble in B two C a little bit. But, or uh, she. Or she. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, is, is fine. Yeah. 
<laughs> we, we have worked with uh, many women-owned businesses, and absolutely, I, I love working with women in business. Smart women in business are amazing as far as I'm concerned. So we, uh, we, we, we pride ourselves on working with, uh, with women-owned businesses. That's awesome. Well, and unique point of view and just, you know, being able to help people to their highest and best use. So, Daisy, what else is grabbing your attention about what they're saying? Definitely things are changing. Sales people cannot use the same tactics that worked in the past. Even the best are having to adapt. It's the adapt or die situation right now. And especially since most selling has become more and more digital. And salespeople can still use, you know, relationships and knowing the psychology of who they're selling to, but they have to get in front of them. And they just don't necessarily have the, the background with the technology and the tools and the, the ways that that happens in the digital landscape. Marketers do, mm-hmm. and, but marketers are not necessarily used to being in quite that uh, position of that early in the sales process being, you know, having more of the burden put on them or more of the opportunity placed in front of them to, to have a greater impact on sales. Yeah, I really think that's so poignant because, you know, basically, as you know, the hardest thing is to get the salespeople in front of a prospective client. That's the client. goal. That's, that's right. It's the hardest thing. Yep. And it's harder than ever before. Um, and it's even more important that when you get there, you know, you don't, you don't, that you're, You've got the right message. You communicate in the right way that you can actually have an opportunity to build that relationship. Once businesses today build relationships with customers, those relationships are not a lot different than they were a hundred years ago, right? Um, the problem is getting the opportunity to build that relationship, and that's where sales. That's where sales historically, if you're using the old methodologies, it just isn't going to get there. And that's why marketing and sales are so, it's so important to put those two things together. Um, and by the same token, you know, you've had, you've had situations where you've gone and helped clients create great messaging and great marketing and great leads and it falls on a sales team who can't execute. That's right. We and, do not close the deal. Right. That's right. You have to have a talented sales team ready and able to go the distance and that includes massive amounts of follow-up like Daisy touched on this earlier but you know on average most sales are closing from 5 to 12 points of follow-up you guys mm-hmm. might have slightly different research than what we're seeing but that's a lot mm-hmm. and that takes an a gate a like you have to be in your a fray a game mindset there we go you know as a salesperson to be on follow-up number three four five six in best case scenario, they're saying, so sorry, can't talk now. Most likely, total radio silence. And so you've got to have some sort of system to overcome the human wherewithal that's like, I give up. This is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. But you have to you because there's a war on attention and busy people simply might want to get back to you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, to your point, I mean, there has got to be some substance in how do you get your sales team all the way through that really, really overwhelming buyer's journey because people might want to solve their problem, but a lot of us are like, I'm out. I'm too busy for this right now. You hit something there that I'll tie it back. Daisy talked about 
that process, right? And that that's something she doesn't always see. And you just touched on the buyer's journey. So for us, we look at, think about the seller's journey and how it has to meet the buyer on their journey. Nice. And that's why you develop the process is to understand where are they and how do you meet them? Where are you in the process? And then those, and you're hundred percent right. It could be five, 10, 12, you know, contact points. Yes. You have to be able to keep track, which is why you have to have a process. You have to leverage the tool so that CRM needs to have the updated information scheduled. You know, when you are supposed to be there, what you're supposed to do, what you're responsible for within that stage. Otherwise you're, you're guessing. Yes. We don't want people guessing. We want people knowing. Absolutely. I mean, we use this sales mapping process, which is really similar. It's just about understanding what's really happening mm -hmm. in a buyer's journey and inside of the sales cycle, because we'll use that language. Because again, going back to the language of business, where are we? What are the tools? I mean, one of the interesting things is a lot of time marketing will build a ton of amazing things, things that sales even requested. And everybody's like, yeah. And then you do the sales mapping and they only need three things. Mm -hmm. You've got 250 pieces of collateral, gazillion case studies, this, that, the other, and they need three things. Mm -hmm. you know, and anything more just slows down your sales cycle. So it's that's important. So I love what you're saying there. When I first came on board with ACA and started understanding the psych psychology part of all this and how long these cycles are for B2B, I was like, wow, this is a whole different part of sales I'm not used to because ours were I was a background of uh, consumer-based products, <laughs> impulse buying, those type of things. It's like, throw all that out the window. It's about, right now, what decision can you make? Can I change your mind? Those type of things. And I'm going, now I see how important it is, or I have seen it for a while, of bringing those two together and that journey and what that looks like. And if you try to pull the plug, and we see this a lot, um, it's eight months down the road, like, oh no, we gotta take her back on market, it's not working. I'm like, oh yeah, it is. You have twice as many leads coming in. Mm -hmm. They're qualified, but the sales team isn't picking it up. Those right. type of things you were mentioning before. Yes. It's a whole different beast. And um, you know, the mishap that happened two years ago, we got to see how important the digital aspect of marketing is to help sales when those sales guys weren't able to be in the field. True. Oh, what yeah, a nightmare. That was a whole other conversation. Probably yeah. should have brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> what? I think you have to. No, I think you yeah. have to change, like you have to name it that COVID changed the face of selling yeah. and of engagement forever. You know, I mean, yeah. it just did. And it's okay because that's the world that we live in now. But yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah, you you, uh, you know, we look at, we kind of talk about COVID and it just took, if you think about it, everything that's happened through this process, um, whatever fire was burning, somebody just put gas on it. Yes. Went, Good point. Right? It was just an accelerant. Really? It so was inevitable this is going to It was inevitable. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It was inevitable. It, it, it just accelerated. These two mm -hmm. sides of coming Yeah. I, and, and in some ways, actually, um, I you know, we talk to businesses and say, hey, this is a great opportunity. Yes. You can be more efficient. You can leverage this. You can be better than your competition. Um, but, you know, it's also going back to the, how you tie to marketing. You know, how does your team, if, you're, if your team's selling virtually, and almost everyone is at some level, 
because you can now, right? It's great. I could I can go to California, like on my laptop right now and be quick on it. Yes, just like Star Trek. Beat me up, Scott. Yeah. So, um, but or do you do your does your team have the right stuff? Do they have the right technology? Are they do they have the, do they are you got the right backdrop? Um, are they sitting at their desk um, and getting a shot? It, it's okay if they don't have a backdrop. But are, do you does your team look professional? Right. And again, this is another thing that your marketing your marketing folks can help. You know, make sure that you're, you're those those are branding opportunities. Those are those are relationship building opportunities. And the things you say and how you interact in that virtual space. They're just as important as they're maybe more important than they are when you're in person because you can't convey as much of that as you can in person. Yeah, consistency, right? Yeah, Uh, it's huge. Yeah, in in the branding world for sure. Well, and you know, when it's like we were talking about setting up a meeting, like how can marketing help get salespeople in front of a customer? That is absolutely huge. But one of the things that we believe is that you are either set up to win or you are set up to get the winner's price down. Like I'm a big believer that by the time they have gone through the marketing and the research phase of the buyer's journey and just checking things out, there's one where they are leaning more towards that one. Like they're like, we're pretty sure we know who we're gonna pick, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna vet two or three others and just make sure we're pretty much sure, you know, that's who it's gonna be. And so are you that person? Like did your branding? And your preparation and the outreach by your salespeople and all of the digital touches, did that set you up for their confirmation bias or are you the validating factor? And I do believe great sales teams and great sales structures can win in an underdog role. So I don't I don't ever want to scare people that that's just a losing proposition. But you have to know that the cards are stacked against sure. you or for you in that first meeting and it was everything that happened leading up to that. Do you agree? We've never really kind of talked about this out loud. I think I've always just assumed. (laughs) (laughs) So every single experience that a prospect has with your brand is part of how they perceive you. And these days it's almost always marketing that they see first. But we also talk about when you move from marketing into sales, does the quality of that experience drop? Not in terms of the relationship or the human side of it, but do your RFPs look like garbage? And are your emails unprofessional? Or, you know, there are so many different aspects of that journey that as people get closer and closer to signing the check, they get more and more afraid and more and more anxious. And if they start seeing, well, when they stop trying to market to me and we actually are having conversations, then where's all the glossy stuff now? Where's all the where's all the stuff that makes me feel like these people are professional? That can have an impact that slows down sales cycles or that makes people choose differently, even at the later stages, just because they're like, well, if it's degraded my user experience from going marketing to sales, then from sales to service or support, is that going to become even less important? Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and on that point, I think it's 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 when you're talking about this, a typical business owner um, or leader looks at this and says, "Well, my sales team is failing me." However, if you're not marketing to them while you're in sales cycle, why are you not? Well, you're not because. You didn't get your CRM set up properly. 
you don't have the right tags on your system, you're not feeding that loop back into marketing, you don't have a plan to market to them through the steps in the funnel. And ultimately, that is not a failure of your sales team, that is a failure of your sales system. That's right, completely agree, absolutely. Your, your team can execute in the system that you provide them. You know, I use the analogy with, uh, with people all the time. You know, I grew up as a kid, I used to love to watch the triple option, the wishbone, oh, yeah. in college football. Okay, I just told my age a little bit. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a Razorback fan. We ran a little bit different. We, we called it the Veer, right? We uh, we ran the triple option. We actually threw out of it some, you know, with the great Joe Ferguson, if you remember that name. So, but the system back then was so critically important to those teams. And if you think about Navy, Army, and Air Force, they run triple option today. Why? They, have, they get lesser talent, but because they have a great system and they can execute at a very high level, they can compete, and they do compete yeah. quite well. So the system is as important as the people, is as important as the process, is as important as the marketing plan. All those things have to come into alignment. Yes. I mean, one of the biggest things we hear that stresses me out from clients is when they say, or prospects, is when they say, I just need to find my superstar salesperson yeah. or, you know, we're going to start as soon as we find our sales leader. And I'm like, as soon as you set them up for a failure, got it. Really good plan. Really good plan. <laughs> you know, because they are expecting that they're just going to walk in and perform right. yep. because they're talented. They are talented, but do they have the tools and the resources and the process and the systems? Like, how are you going to put them in the role? that they can then really set them up for success. Yes, exactly. So that stresses me out every time I hear the client or prospect say that because I'm like, okay, you need to meet somebody. <laughs> Please stop saying that. So what is the most common problem you see when you walk in uh, for the first time and introduce yourself to these businesses? And What's the one thing that always stands out where you're like, there it is. It never fails. They're doing this wrong. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's one thing, but I think it's really, um, we often, believe it or not, we, we often see that the sales team that's in place isn't producing, and, and, or there's one person, but it's often, it's often the, the business owner or leader who's actually still producing, and they're trying to find the right people to put in place. And, and they're, or they are just, they've gotten so frustrated, they just quit trying, which is even worse. Um, but ultimately it's, it's the, 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 almost every time is there. We just have to dig it out. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we were talking about the system, the engine, if you will. Um, you know, I just, I just thought about this kind of analogously, you know, not everyone can build, you know, lots of people can drive cars. Not everybody can build one. And so if we put a great sales leader or a great salesperson in a great, with a great engine or a great vehicle, they'll probably be able to drive it. But if we say, okay, here are all the parts and pieces and components. Good luck, Tiger. Let's see how you do building <laughs> right. that. That's, <laughs> said. Yes, that's well a said. That's a great awesome. metaphor. Is that on your website? You know we can do websites. <laughs> 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 
Okay, so where do you guys start? You know, you're talking about um, teasing out that nugget, you know, the thing. But, you know, and you're talking about process and system. So where do you guys start when you get in with a client? What's step one? Mm -hmm. Good question. The engine. Um, Chris has this great uh, kind of an analogy story. When your car's not running right, you take it to the dealer. And you go, well, you know, it's knocking and it's pinging. When I hit the gas, it does this, you know, and you explain it to them. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay. Do they go grab their toolbox? No. What do they do? Plug it into the computer. They do a diagnostic. Yeah. So we do the same thing. We, we, we plug into the business. That's the very first thing that we do is sit down and meet and try to understand with an eye on kind of those four pillars we talked about earlier. We want to dig into those and understand, interview all the stakeholders, get a feel for what's going on, what's working, what's not working. To Chris's point, there's there's magic in there. They just don't know how to pull it out of themselves and then put it into a system. So we're going to help them do that. So it's an assessment first. It's like having a bookkeeper for all the years and all of a sudden a CFO comes in and says, Woo, hold yeah. on a yeah. second. <laughs> You're making money, but it's not spent the right way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting too, like what you're saying about the ones earlier mm -hmm. is that for any company to have achieved anything between 1 million and 100 million, they did something really right. Yes. Like there is significant marketing or market validation mm -hmm. that you have value, you know how to deliver it. And I have found in my own personal journey, you know, as a business owner, but also with clients and friends, you know, that also own companies that when you hit a plateau or when all of a sudden you broke a plateau, but everything is breaking around you, like nothing that worked before is working anymore, man, it really sets you back mm -hmm. from a mindset standpoint where oh, yeah. you can, where you have a tendency to just start being like, I, I don't know what's going on, why, you know, and it's, it's amazing how that self-defeating or just even temporary feeling of defeat yeah. can really hinder your ability to see how to do things right or how to build a system mm -hmm. that's going to take you to the next level. Because right. what you've got you there is not what's going to get you to the next oh, place, but that's tricky. Absolutely. It is. Yeah, there's three fundamental, you know, cycles, right? You start the business, then you grow the business, and then you scale the business. And there are plateaus to each one. And we're not here to help you start your business. you got to have an idea and get it going. Yes. But once you figure, figure that out and you want to grow it and then put a system in place to truly scale it, we're here to help. We run into these same issues. They hit a, they hit a stopping point. Could be there for 10 years, second generation, whatever it may be. And they're like, wait a minute, I know there's a ton more business out there. Why can't we get it? What's the matter? You know, you get the, and we're like, you ready to scale it or not? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Have you ever had a situation where you did the diagnostic and they did not like what you were saying? Well, sure. And of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> you get to tell them they've been wrong all this time. <laughs> we pride ourselves on truth telling and it's yeah. not comfortable. So I'm curious yeah. because on the marketing side, Daisy had a really awesome, painful opportunity to tell a client that their baby was ugly. <laughs> and they handled sure it, it like no, she would never. Yeah. That's why she is much better <laughs> at certain things than I am. And thank God for her. But I mean, they handled it like a champ. I mean, like they, you know, so 
yeah, I don't know if you want to speak to that, and then we'll put them back in the hot seat. <laughs> sure. So it was really a situation where they were very new to marketing. They were a sales-led organization, and they were trying to figure out what was their market position and what they thought it was, what they thought they were doing in terms of saying, we're the best at this, or we're the, you know, the best at that. They weren't actually the best in the market at those specific things, not the most experienced. The technology was not the best technology on the market, but what they did do best was making things easier for businesses. And so they just needed to pivot to where they were telling the thing that they knew was absolutely true. And they, they could have complete confidence that their brand promise was something that they could keep. And yeah, it, they just needed to have somebody walk them through that process of understanding the value that they were really bringing to the table. Nice. That's awesome. That is great. It was awesome. We were so, and still are so proud of that client. But I remember, you know, prepping, you know, when you were prepping for that call, we were both like, good Lord, I hope they have the character to hear this and act on it because they're worthy, you know, they, but they did need to pivot. So what about you guys ever deliver a diagnostic that you were like, Oh yeah. boy, they are not going to want to hear. Well, you know, I, I, out of the room. Yeah, yeah. I did have a, I did have a situation where we went, we went through the diagnostic and I went back and sat down with the CEO and I said, we came in early, right? Grabbed a cup of coffee, went to his desk and, we sit down and I'm across the desk from him and I said, I think I found the problem. He's like, what is it? Oh, no. I was like, it's you. Mm-hmm. You did not say He's that. Like, Damn, I knew you were going to say that. Thank you. This is my relationship. In this situation, um, and I think this is like a, a little bit of a sidebar, but in this situation, he, he was a brilliant guy, a great, great long-standing business, but he just was a tinkerer, right? And he was a philosopher, and he changed strategies all like on the on a dime, like to, oh, yeah. like you'd have one conversation today, and then tomorrow it was different. And it wasn't that they were bad ideas; it was that he needed to not have those conversations with the people who were feet on the street in the fire every day. Those are conversations for a higher level. And so, you know, being a visionary and being a philosopher and being a smart person, this, by the way, this is a, this is a person I, and I hold very near and dear. I just it, just love him to death. But he was just, and I did have that conversation with him. Yeah. And he did get it. And it was hard. You know, I, I, I didn't have a problem telling him that. Um, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't fearful. I, you know, it's just, you know, whatever. But... Literally, that that's so much of what we kind of, those are things that we run into where, you know, entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs for a reason. They have vision. They're fearless. Um, they're, they're tenacious. Uh, they don't let anything get in their way. But sometimes you need to not share all of these visionary ideas and concepts yeah, and change with yeah. everybody because you just confuse them. It doesn't mean that we can't change, but we need to have a better plan and we need to not confuse people. The people who are, you know, and we, you and I have talked about this before, you know, sales is very tactical. I mean, this is not, sales is not marketing. Sales is like sea hill, take hill. <laughs> right? And so if your sea hill, take hill people are confused about where the hill is, yes. you have a problem. Yes. Yes. We can relate. Uh, we've owned a few businesses now. And it's uh, one, one thing that 
most other people have in common that we run into, that are entrepreneurs as well, is the ability to adapt to change and make it fast and make it happen. And it's like, oh, if we see something, we've got to do it now. And that really does confuse people, especially when you're trying to lay out processes. It's like, wait a minute, didn't you just tell me something different a week ago? Yeah. You know, um, I get where you have to tap the brakes every once in a while, but that's what got us to where we're at now on one hand. You know, that's one of those things. It's like, well, if it weren't for that characteristic that we have, mm -hmm. we wouldn't be here right now. True. But, uh, but you have to be willing to listen to other people smarter than you, better than you at what they're good at. It makes a good point. It's almost like at some point in time, you have to protect the business from the founder. A little bit. <laughs> I, I, I say that for personal. Yeah. And she's hard. <laughs> And I don't know I think it's smarter because I don't know that we would ever consider ourselves smarter than the other person. It's being the other adult in the room. Yeah. So mm. being able to talk to that business owner and say, hey, maybe try it this way, right? Like, share, let's share those ideas over here mm -hmm. and not over here. And here's why. And then they'll. It's, it's also, you know, when <laughs> you had to tell them their baby was ugly, that's like, <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. But um, the analogy that is, yes. but I, we see things that they don't see because we haven't been there. We have no bias. Um, it's it's not our baby, so if it's ugly, we can just say it's ugly. Um, so I, I think that's one of the values that any of us, you know, when we're kind of outsiders and working for for you know, customers and helping them with their businesses. Um, we get to bring in an outside perspective, a fresh set of eyes, um, an unbiased view of what's going on. Uh, because I can tell you, we get up every day for one reason, and that's really help our clients reach their goals. It's what we're passionate about. Yes. And so we're not doing it for any other reason than to really help them. And quite frankly, when we're working with them, their salespeople and their sales leaders and everyone in their business, we're pouring in. We want those people to reach their goals as well. So, you know, you can you can say those things when you know they're coming from a, a really a really sincere good place. It's a great point. I mean, like I had a profound personal pivot. It, you know, a couple of years ago, and I was in this workshop and I realized listening to the speaker that you're allowed to have both organizational impact and individual impact. You know that it is possible, but you have to let yourself like, and you have to, and you have to be able be willing to say those conversations and be the other adult in the room and really go the distance for them, even if it's not comfortable and even if it's not what they want to hear. And like you said, that helps their team as individuals become better, and you know what everybody can achieve. It's so exciting. So Daisy, I'm going to move it back over to you for just a second because they were talking about they start with a diagnostic. Um, and you know, probably for the audience, we ought to clarify where we start, but I want to, want to start a conversation because we always start with buyer personas, no matter what, like, yes, there's some discovery conversation in the sales process, but by the time we start, like we're going straight to the heart of the number one problem we see, which is buyer personas. Like we wait to find the other problems. Um, so I'm going to have you explain why we do that, but then I'm going to kick it back over because you guys mentioned ideal customer profile. And that kind of surprises me because I've had so many salespeople say, well, I'll sell to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's so interesting <laughs> hearing, you know, like 
sales guys go, no, 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 you will not. And so I think that's interesting. So Daisy, why don't you kick us off like why we always go straight to the heart of buyer personas and why that actually matters. Sure. So brand messaging is always the very first thing that we fix. And I say fix because I don't think in 15 years of doing this, I've ever run across a company that had actually nailed this. Yep. Because if they have the depth of understanding of their audience to get this right, they've got a lot of other things right as well. Mm-hmm. So with the buyer personas, we start there instead of with about the company and about their products and their services and even their market position, we always start with the personas because that's the most important piece of the puzzle. The people who actually give you their hard-earned money if you don't have a deep, deep understanding of who they are, what matters to them, who's influencing them, how they make decisions, what they're afraid of, what they want, what's going to make them say no, what questions and assumptions will they bring to the table, what bad experiences, what good experiences have they had in the past with services or solutions like yours you're not going to be effective at selling to them. And you're definitely not going to be effective at marketing to them because marketing is usually that one-way conversation where you don't have a face-to-face conversation. You have to be very, very targeted in your assumptions. And usually when we sit down with businesses, the first thing to do is defining which persona or personas we're going to target and no more than three. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, if you can't define the, the top handful of people that you're going after, you're going too broad. You're not going to be able to execute across all of those personas because each one may have a different sales map and they may have a different journey through the process. It, we uh, like to start with one or two and then add from there. Sometimes if you have a business that says multiple solutions that just don't fit the same persona, then you know, we need to look at those with their own sales and marketing stream. But we definitely start with that deep dive on the persona side to get people to tell us who they want to stop doing business with. Yeah. Because it's not just, these are our ideal, amazing clients, because that's an easy conversation. Oh, if only we had more of those. But they have to start saying no as well. And they have to start saying, you know, this type of client, yeah, it looks good on the books, but it's draining our organization of the will to live. <laughs> so <laughs> no more of these, please. Yes. Or so. not only that, they uh, spend all this marketing money for that buyer persona and it doesn't bring them the ROI like right. the top two. Yes. Right. Um, sure. Also. Yes. Right. So looking at the types of buyers that were bringing the best revenue, best lifetime customer value, easiest to work with, a joy to serve. They send you referrals. They become champions for your business. They become true partners in your success and not just, you know, we got to get another person in the door. We know we can sell to that kind of person and it'll come back to bite us you know, 12 months from now, but hey, we got to get our revenue numbers up. Really being deliberate in the decisions about your customer base is part of your brand. What kind of company do you want to be? Oh, well yeah. said. You yeah. sold me. I wish you had another business. Yeah. <laughs> 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 totally. So, okay, why? Like, how does that translate? You know, I mean, Daisy teed up why mm-hmm. it's literally like table stakes. You have to start there on the marketing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter yep. what else, anything else is going on. So on the sales side, why? Because let me just play out the devil's advocate. If your marketing got that right, then we're generating relatively qualified leads, you know, wherever they are in their buyer's journey. But there's going to be some other people that, you know, come in the funnel, you know, from prospecting or from referrals or word of mouth or, you know, any of the other things where the ecosystem's working. So why does it matter on the sales side who your ideal customer is? 
Well, first of all, we, we start with ideal customer um, rather than buyer persona. We, we usually get to buyer persona, but ultimately we need, we're doing it because most businesses don't have the, and will not invest that we work with right. in the right marketing. So I don't get the opportunity to have, you know, Daisy come in and fix all that for me, right? Which would be awesome every time. <laughs> yes, <it would> be. <laughs> um, but um, but we're, we, we make sure that we start with the ideal customer because, you know, you said it, Kyle, it's like the ones who are just killing your will to live or you, who ever said that. Yeah, you know, that we call them ankle biters, you know. So, the, <laughs> so if we know who the ideal customer is, first of all, first and foremost, we're not saying to the sales team, go get them. We're saying, go get these. Yeah. Right? And this is why. And this is the value we deliver for them. And this is how we're different than our competitors with these folks or these customers or these verticals or whatever that may be. Um, and so that adds clarity. And once we add clarity, salespeople tend to work much more effectively when they're clear about what they're supposed to do. And then the other thing is, is we're, while we talk about revenue generation and new customers and all the things that we do, you know, building the sales engine for companies, um, the first, one of the most important things is how profitable is that business? Mm-hmm. What are your margin requirements? What customers are delivering margin for you? What's the lifetime value of a customer? All these things so that we're, we're, when we know that ideal customer profile, we know they're profitable and they're happy, right? We're delivering great value for them. They're going to stay with us longer. We're going to make more money because of that. Um, they're not going to be the ankle biters. They're not going to kill our will to live. And we just need to go find more of those. And that can change, to Daisy's point, depending on the vertical I mean, on the type of service or product or whatever, that can change. So we might have ideal customers. You know, we might have three different ideal customers depending on the business. Um, and that's okay. We, I don't, we don't really like it when you get too, too many more than that. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's not be everything to everybody. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of that's where we, you know, we dig in. Um, and really, it's about not, not spending time on stuff that's not going to make you money. Yeah. A strategic focus and yeah. maximizing all of your efforts. I right. love that. Well, and it's uh, our favorite word. I think a lot of us have adopted intentionality to what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And being, you said purposeful, right? And we do get to the buyer personas a little bit further in the process to even get more refined about that. But you have to be intentional. Yes. Otherwise, you're just, just chasing. Chasing what? I don't know. It's so interesting. We had this one client, it's probably happened more, but this one specific in my mind where one of their buyer personas turned out to be a customer profile. And it's because once we got inside the numbers, they were losing as many customers as they were getting. And so the churn, you know, like they had a subscription and renewal model that's really, really critical. And so those points um, where people were downgrading or worse, just leaving the organization were just absolutely killing everything that we were trying to do for them from a net new standpoint, because there was no real impact on the business. Cause you know, for everyone you got, you would lose one. And that was so interesting. And I come across a statistic during that point where a 2% reduction in customer churn is equivalent to a 10% across the board cost cutting expenditure. It's the same impact on profit. So I'm like, 
hey, yeah, how about that? Like, why don't we stop losing what we worked so hard to get and what we paid for dearly in marketing, sales, operations, delivery, and learning and keep that? Like, you cannot sustain and scale growth. Like you were talking about, Joe, the third version, you cannot do that unless you... So it was such an interesting um, twist for mm -hmm. us because we don't often get invited into that we disagree with that <laughs> but you know because we do believe marketing is supposed to be a virtuous cycle where then you continue to have that alignment internally marketing continues to delight your customers and celebrate milestones and align with operations and show up at key renewal points because those people turn into evangelists for you they turn into intentional referrers they turn into your best case studies and all of this, but it doesn't happen on accident. Nobody right. just raises their hand and says, yes, I'll do a video testimonial for you and become a massive advocate. You know, you nurture that, yeah. you know, but it was interesting, you know, hearing you talk about that, Chris, because I was like, wow, that actually showed up in one of our clients mm -hmm. at one point in time. It was a fascinating experience. I'll, I'll third that. You said it, you said it. I'm going to go ahead and say <laughs> it again. Well, just this past October, we were sitting down, uh, setting goals for our own business and uh, we were saying okay how many leads do we need to get to where we want to sell x amount of dollars blah 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 and uh, we walked i walked away from that meeting it was just her and i and i started really digging deep into retention mm -hmm. and i said hey let's look at this different if we can keep and I, we did pick two of our uh, profile clients of who's what type of clients good to us in two different areas and um, I said it only takes holding on to those two extra months and this is what it's going to gain two months and that could be meaning switching to a CMO if the CMO and that client that we paired them up with that relationships getting old we just need to refresh something it's the same cost to us if we already have them on board mm -hmm. but those two months are huge like you said yeah, what they could refer us in that time. If, if we're not with them anymore, we're not going to get a referral. Right. You know, those type of things. It yeah. all adds up. Yeah. Retention. This, I think people overlook that, especially, um, well, not with you guys because you're teaching people that, but in sales in general, mm -hmm. how many new people can we get in the door is not always the answer. No, you're right. I, you know, there are two things that I think about when we're talking about this subject. Um, one is you have to know how to disqualify, right? You have to be willing to say, no, they're not a fit for us or we're not a fit for them or both and be comfortable with that, you know. And then secondly, when you're talking about retention and you're talking about oftentimes we're talking about not just retention, but land and expand. Um, we have lots of businesses that we work with. Their, their first time of interacting or doing business with, uh, with someone, um, maybe we call it a crack in the door. Then, we, then the door's got a little bit of a wider crack and then the door's open and then we just kick the hinges off of it, right? Yes. Uh, so we can land and expand. Well, you know, how do you, how are you doing that? And are you intentional about it? So it's retention and growing your existing business. You know, I'm going to say the silliest thing that I've been saying forever. Sales is really easy. We just need to <laughs> keep the ones we have and sell them more. And then go find the new ones and do the same thing. And to the point about customer retention, that is a brand experience issue. Mm -hmm. And that is a marketing function. Mm -hmm. And the, if you're looking at highly relationship-focused 
customer engagements where a customer is, they've imprinted on a salesperson or an account manager. That should not be the only aspect of the company that makes them feel good. There should be everything about the organization, all of those touch points that make them feel like staying. So if you lose a salesperson or account manager, you don't lose the customers with them because they have connected with your brand and not just with a particular person. Oh, it's also where the, I've always felt like that's the hidden value in marketing is all the other things that can impact inside of a business like client experience after the sale. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, there's, there's so much value in that. And yet most people don't leverage the marketing to do that. We have seen and gotten to be a part of such exciting moments where you literally see the team get so excited when the new branding and the new messaging is rolled out to them. You know, again, we do a lot of mission and vision, core values work inside of the messaging because the truth is the truth. Right. <laughs> so we might as well be blatant about it. But it is the coolest thing when you see a team and you get to be a part of the rollout. And I mean, their shoulders go back and they're like, that is who we are. You know, I mean, they're like, that is our stake in the ground. It it's just like the coolest feeling to be like, that's right, guys, you are. Like you are kicking ass and taking names. Keep going. And we're just going to tell you the truth about yourselves. So go be awesome. Like it's, oh, so I, I mean, what you're saying there, Joe, just has been really neat to be a part of that from time to time, you know, when we actually get to witness that it's a big deal. Yeah, that's awesome. I've got an off-topic question. Well, it's topic as far as sales goes. I was just talking to a sales consultant uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, I, I used to notice but didn't know the true data behind it, and I don't know if you guys have it or not, but I, I recognized that there would always be like the top 25% were the overachievers, the producers, the one who brought you all that extra business, the 50% below that were maintainers, and you had 25% that needed to find their way out, replace, retrain, Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. In all the roles I've had in the past, there ain't been a many of them, but it always seemed to have that number. And he's like, no, it's more like 20, 60, uh, 20. Yeah. And I went, really? Is that a true number? Or are you just telling me that? You know? All right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the radio rule. It's the 80 20 rule over. Yeah. It applies. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of a mathematical formula that just sort of happens. Yeah. So what do you guys do to, um, you know, fix that? You should say dead weight, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> what do you try to do to uh, break that cycle, I should say. Um, I, I know hiring the right people is huge, and everyone says that. Um, go, go through from top to bottom, hiring a sales rep, doing your due diligence up front is huge. But that's not always the case. You can hire a great person, they just don't work. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that's true too. Well, you know, this is really, it's really, so the numbers are more like 20, 60, 20. Yeah. Okay. And I can remember I, uh, I, I had a corp, corporate job and I, and my, my chairman, I had a large sales team. My chairman got down to 14%. And I was like, why are we not firing more people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually, it was a culmination of, we were just doing a lot better. Yeah. And so, um, so what are the things you can do? It's, 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 it, there's a lot. Hiring the right people f for sure. We're huge advocates of not just hiring the right people, but having a great onboarding and training plan for those people when you bring them into the business. And I don't mean 
train them about the product or service. I mean, like literally, they have a 68-week plan for them. Nice. Their first 68 weeks is mapped out. And part of that is snapping them into getting them spun up as quickly as you can so that you can snap them into what their daily routine is going to be as soon as you can. But not just leaving them, coaching them through that, you know, through that. And I think when you have a great when you have a great sales system in place, you have a great sales engine in place, you're gonna have people who are more successful because they know what to do and you have baked in accountability because you have those processes in place. So, you know, I think the 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 old you know, 20, 60, 20 days. Look, there are 20% of the people in this world. It doesn't make any difference what you do. You could bury them in a tomb. They're going to dig their way out and go be successful doing something. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So, but the rest of the people, I've always said, how do we take everybody and make them better? Like, if your goal is not to put them on a grid and say, where, where do you land on this grid? But wherever you are today, how do I just help you get a little bit better? Yeah. And if you're constantly moving that up, then you're going to be very successful. Yeah, I coached baseball for a little while. Not on a major level or anything. But um, I always looked at it that way. If I, if I could, I'm only as good as my weakest link on, on the field. At any time, it goes that way. Football, whatever it may be. And it's like, all right, my superstars don't need my help, right? It's everybody else. True. And I work with them twice as much, basically, because I'm like, if I can make them successful or win or even come close to this, this team is gonna win, period. And that was just the philosophy. And I think that's the way it is with most coaches, but um, just remember, it's not always a guarantee. Your superstars might get poached by another team if you don't give them anything, so. <laughs> you can't put that money sport. <laughs> True. You have to figure out what their motivation is. Yes. Yeah, you, you can't forget about them, but right. they may be intrinsically motivated, so it might not be the money, it may be the accolades, it could be, but you have to be able to motivate each person individually in the way that makes them feel appreciated and happy. And yeah. It's this whole thing of, well, everybody should be treated the same. No. <laughs> everybody should be treated fairly, and fair is defined by that person, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you've got to figure that out. Value is defined by that person, right? Absolutely. So obviously lots of salespeople are motivated to a certain level mm -hmm. by financial compensation. Obviously, no one would put up with the stress and intensity and activity level of sales if not. However, it's rarely just that. Right. You know, and um, I've you know had a conversation, I probably need to introduce them to you now that I'm thinking about it out loud, you know, with a company where they have mostly hunters. And we were seeing in their pitiful but somewhat <laughs> CRM data that there is almost no follow-up, not just because it's not being entered, but it's because they don't follow up. Mm. And so they're actually very good prospectors. They love the discovery call. They love the initial hunt. And then they just get super bored when their prospects are busy. And so they're like, I don't want to write another email. I don't you know, and I, I simply said, you need to talk to someone. You, you need hunters and gatherers, mm -hmm. right. you know, yeah. and I'm not, I have no idea what the real sales semantic language is about building team structures mm -hmm. with different personalities. But that's a big deal because in another client that I'm working with right now, he was trying to decide which is better. His hunters that are super aggressive and just 
I mean, close so many deals or his gatherer who closes much less, but way more profitable. Yeah. And so the impact on the business is really similar. And he was like, which one's better? I'm like, why would you pick one? They're both awesome. Why don't you just figure out a better system for moving leads through and getting them talking, you know, and, yeah, y'all need to meet. I've got to back this up. I can't help it, but I hadn't thought of it for a long time. But the, you remember the word winning by Charlie Sheen? When a team wins, it solves a lot of problems. Yes. It keeps the happy ones happy, the middle ones glad they are there, yes. and it motivates the ones on the bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that a lot because you don't want to lose in sales. Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. And, and they're going, yeah. Gosh, <laughs> another month of me being on the bottom list. Yeah. Oh no, how can I break this? You know, without yeah. quitting. Well, you know, it's good. so it's cool. You were talking about that situation because that's the roles, that's the roles and responsibilities on the team. Yeah. And, and it's 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 always been that you could have multiple roles on your sales team. Always, it's really more important now that you clearly understand what they need to be because. It's different now. It just is different. And you, you know, you could get, you know, um, like if you have nothing but, you know, um, you know, offensive guards on your team, you probably have a good line, but you're not going to run it very well, throw it very well, or catch it very well, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we might want to make sure that we've got the right guys, you know, balance, balance on the team. Yeah. And then um, having, having that alignment where, you know, you can, you know, get the most out of people. That goes back to the winning thing you were talking about. We say, um, you know, winners win and losers lose. So, you know, you're going to set goal. You're going to set sales goals for your sales team that they can't achieve. Well, they're losers now. How, how do you like that? You got a bunch of losers on your sales team. Um, but how do we win every day? How do we win every week? How do we win every month? How do we win every quarter? And I'm not talking about participation trophies, pro- proper things. How can we, if we're not hitting the results that we have set as a goal, and, we, and we've set proper goals, most important. That's huge. Goals. That's huge. That's number one. Right? Uh, we, so we, uh, we did $3 million last year. We did $4 million, uh, the year before that, or $2 million the year before that, and our goal this year is 10 Yeah. Oh, we see that yeah. all <laughs> the time. Like, you know, our, the CMOs will get together and just talk. You know, in order to make sure we're vetting ideas and just going, hey, has anybody ever seen this? Or, you know, how do we handle this situation? And one of our CMOs, he was telling us, he was like, yep, this CEO just went, oh, out of thin air. This is the number I want this year. And he's like, Oh, okay. Nothing smart about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's the statistic you always say: fifty percent of the sales force don't meet their goals. And I'm like, well, uh, that's easy to not hit them if you set it so far up there that's that good. you know half of your people can't hit their goal. What, what is that? Well, I think that you know there are aspirational goals for a business, and you should have those. You should have your you your know BHAG. yeah your BHAG. You should have those things, um, but you also should set realistic goals. So. Every business takes a number to their banker. Yeah. That's the number that ought to that ought to be the number for the business. Right. If you're if that's the if that's the number you're actually comfortable giving the banker, great. Then point. that's your that goal. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know. And yes. Or, or wow. maybe it's a little bit better than that. Maybe you're going to hedge the bank with the banker a, a little bit, but yeah. it shouldn't be like I give the banker five million and I've got my team goal set for ten. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. We Wrong do goal. set a goal and 
in a stretch goal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if we hit that stretch goal, it's great for everybody. Yes. It's like, oh, all right, you know, here we go. Look, we want yeah. that aspirational goal out there. We want that big goal. But we want to set goals around how the team is going to perform that they can achieve that we're all going to be happy with. You know, if so if I if I'm growing at 10% every year, well, okay, I'm, that's that's good. If my trends say, uh, or my industry, or there's some, you have some data behind your numbers. Um, there's nothing wrong with setting big growth goals if that's what your trends say and that's where your industry is going. Or you've got new products or new territories or whatever, but put some real data and logic behind your goals so that you don't set your team up to fail. No one wants to lose. And hey, look, in today's world, you know, we're, we're having a hard time finding talent and keeping yes. talent in businesses. Yes. And you said it earlier, Dacia, they, they're not just working for the money. That's right. They want to be happy. Yeah. They want to be part of a team. They want to contribute. They want to be successful. They want to walk out the door every day a winner. Yes. Not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's interesting about that because... If you grow faster, you will need to evolve faster. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, like when we picked our goal for this year, we all as a team really agreed um, that's definitely achievable. And we even kind of had a joke around the table at our strategic planning. We were like, I think we're sandbagging. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know? the, the time was like, oh, we can do that. We're refreshing that, You've seen our numbers in the past, you know, we're sitting yeah. out there a little ways. I know we're rolling, we have momentum, everything's going good, but this is what we want to hit. You know, here's what we'd like to hit. You know. And a lot of the rationale behind that was that we knew there were processes that we had not documented that were working just fine, but we were going to hire. How do we get those people up? Yep. Because then that's going to require the rest of the team to train them mm -hmm. up. And then also when we hit our goal next year, we're a very different company. Like we have, I mean, we will have launched different business models. I mean, we will have evolved and we've got to become those people. Yep. Like we have to become those people as professionals. We've got to become that organization. We've got to protect the culture because we've built some stuff that I'm really proud of. And I do not want to kill it right. for the revenue dollar, you know, and then obviously maintaining profit so it protects the team and that we can share in that prosperity. I mean, I think it's really critical to think carefully about why you want to grow fast. Well, you're thinking through it properly. You're putting good contextual logic to it. And the other thing that I think was really key is you're involving the group, right? It's not yeah, we're trying to as much as possible. Oh, yeah, that's the number. Yeah, exactly. yeah, for how small we are, it's like, all right, how much do we share with? Do they really care? All those things. And I'm like, they should, they sure. will. You know, it's. And they're well, way smarter than well, people, I know. <laughs> well, this comes back to something Chris said earlier. Salespeople are this way, but I think all people are this way. Mostly all people. Clarity of task is really, really big. Salespeople, you know, see hill, take hill. The mid-size hill, not that one over there, not that one over there, right? this yeah. one. But I think all people with some level of clarity, with having knowledge, transparency, work better because they know the why, right? Yeah. So not just do, but know why. And then let's give them a little bit of the how, right? Yeah. 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 Show them how to do it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. 
There was one question before we start wrapping the show that you were personally curious about. And so uh, we had this conversation back and forth. Um, We've been researching this. Anyways, (laughs) okay, is there a metric around how much a you're supposed to pay a salesperson and how much they're supposed to produce for that yeah. number and i'm I, sure we are the first that's ever asked I know. You. Yeah, I know that it definitely can change but man when we were trying to research this and when we were building compensation for one of our team members who we had promoted who was killing it by the way but i mean we were like there is no straightforward answer on this. No, there's not. So um, I think every business is a little bit different, even within the same industries. Um, companies are they're, they're, they have different overhead. They have different scenarios um, that make that compensation plan a little bit different. I would just say that you know we we look for ways to build compensation plans that salespeople can crush right in other words there's they're, they're, they can make as much money like if they make three million dollars you're just going to be grinning because you made six or whatever right, that, whatever. whatever that math is right so um but you know one of the things to really keep in mind today we've always been of a mindset joe and our team we always kind of thought you know we want to get a 50 50 kind of split between you know base compensation and incentive compensation. And, and I'm not saying that that doesn't sit, still hold true, but you really have to be thinking about the individual that you're bringing into that role and really how you need to be aware and cognizant of if you're going to attract that talent or that individual that you think is a cultural fit, uh, has the experience, you know they're going to crush it, they want to be with you, and then you get to the negotiation on compensation we're finding that we, we have to be more flexible around how we structure these compensation plans based on what motivates that person individually. Joe said it earlier, right? What motivates them? And so um, some, some changes, I think just societal changes have kind of indicated to us in what we're seeing um, through those processes with the clients we work with that, People aren't as maybe money motivated solely mm-hmm. as as what we're used to or we think they are, and so and it doesn't mean that there aren't some that are. So you have to. Like, I I think we talked. Joe told this to a client the other day. He's like, you can't have one compensation plan. Like like we don't even know. Like we're going to build the framework for what it is, but we're not even going. We're going to adapt to the person that we're interviewing based on what we learn. And what we think motivates that person, because we were going to have to structure that plan, maybe one way for that person, and maybe a different way for a person in the same role. Wow! And that goes back to what Joe was saying about fair. Maybe that word "fair" <laughs> is incredibly dangerous to your team and the value you bring them as an employer. But that's kind of like blowing my hair back because you know you always think we got to build something that's going to be good for everybody. That you know, like if we hired somebody else. That will yeah. suit them too, but you guys are like, nah, well, no, uh, you have to, have, you have to, you can customize a little. Yeah, Chris kind of uh, touched on. He said societal changes. Uh, I'll just be more blunt. Millennials, you know, the younger generation just has a completely different perspective, and that's not a bad thing right. at all. They are simply motivated differently. Yeah, you guys have kids. Yeah, we have kids. <laughs> you know, they're a little bit older now, right? 
but they're different. And, you know, like my 16 year old is motivated differently than my 24 year old. Yeah. They just are. Yeah. And so uh, we have to figure that out, right? Adapt or change. Yeah. Yeah. That is so cool. It's all part of it. But we do uh, build lots of compensation plans. Yes. So if you want some help, we'll. We're happy. We love you. We'll help you. <laughs> I love it. I know. I gotta find a way to pay myself more. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daisy, you yeah. sit in this gap of marketing and sales. So as we're starting to wrap up, what are the things that didn't come up in this conversation where you're like, you know, we probably should have touched on X, Y, and Z? I think one thing that would be nice to touch on is what kind of system works best for helping facilitate communication between marketing and sales. Mm. Is it meetings? Is it the CRM itself? Good documentation there. Is there some other system that you see working well for creating that continuous feedback loop? Good question. Jeez. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, that is a good question, and I don't know that there's one right answer. I think it depends on the organization. So thinking about an overarching management structure, right? If you thought about like an EOS process within a company or a system and soul process within a company, that provides opportunities for leadership to be aligned and then departmental alignment. Um, so there are some really good tools around that. But mostly it, it boils down to just, you know, communication in general. Do you have a good communication system in place? And are you aligned to understand? By the way, I, I don't know if it was McKinsey or Markets and Markets, but I did a presentation earlier this year on just change and what's different, you know, sales now versus a couple of years ago. Yeah. And properly aligned marketing and sales organizations produce at a more than three times rate. Wow. Yes. That's big. Yeah. I mean, that's big. Huge. And so it is critically important, but I think it, it mostly starts at leadership, right? So if leadership believes that that alignment has to happen and work, then that funnels down, right? And you have to foster that communication. And I think it's very important at the leadership level for it there to be clarity around who's responsible for what, because mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that feedback doesn't happen and communication breaks down is because finger pointing oh, yeah. every conversation ends up with, well, you didn't do this. You didn't do that. And I'm not getting what I need. Why aren't you doing more of this? And when roles and responsibilities and metrics are clearly outlined for marketing and for sales and everyone's responsibilities are clear, I think it's easier to have conversations oh, yeah. because you can identify so what's not happening right what, what metrics are falling behind? What are the prerequisites? You know, what's that workflow? So you can actually have conversations about the metrics and what's happening and not who did what, who didn't do what. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of just talk about the data, just talk about the situation and talk about what we're trying to achieve, not finger pointing, not what's wrong with you or, you know, why aren't you performing or we're not getting enough out of you know, this campaign or this team or anything like that. I think that's so important because then it keeps moving, pe keeps people moving forward together. It yeah. does. Well, you brought it up earlier, sales meetings in your past where it was like, uh, you know, yeah. we, we've been there. You know what? Probably you actually asked, 
you weren't always this way. You didn't always buy into marketing, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, probably 10 years into my career when I took over sales and marketing for a company. Oh, we over. call it sales and dot, dot, dot marketing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is a continuum now, more, much more so than it ever was. But th that's probably was the watershed moment for me was having to actually own marketing right, and understand right. the symbiotic relationship there. Yeah. But not everybody does, to your point. And then that becomes dysfunctional. Um, so, again, at the top of the food chain, somebody's got to buy into that. Otherwise, they get to go, well, I've got my fiefdom over here. Yeah. And, Daisy, I think one of the key pieces of education that we do with almost all our clients is helping CEOs and founders understand what marketing does and does not do. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because they cannot set metrics and responsibilities and roles if they don't understand what marketing is for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting that you bring up metrics because I was thinking that about what you guys were saying about metrics as well, is that in regards to facilitating feedback communication and healthy ongoing communication, those metrics will tell you what type of communication to have. There are some metrics that are really data where it needs to, we need to know that lead came in, did it get worked? It means the CRM, has got to be used. Like just super straightforward once everybody's clear about this is qualified and this is, for instance, why lead scoring works and we feel confident we've made decisions. Technology is the communication piece because it's a straightforward, did you call them back? However, you know, in other areas, if we are looking at campaign metrics or types of leads or we're testing something out, you know, we will facilitate on our client's behalf conversations where our digital marketer literally gets on and asks the salesperson, you got four form fills this week. What happened? <laughs> and the salesperson will tell though, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of reading between the lines sometimes, but generally speaking, if it's a talented salesperson, they'll tell and man, we learn so much. It goes back to what Daisy was saying earlier it's amazing what Jennifer will do with that information. She's like, oh, I'm going to turn off that keyword. We're going to say this. We're going to change this language. You won't get those anymore. And it's just fantastic. But that was just human to human communication mm -hmm. because the forms that are being filled out were directly generation. That means humans. And so the only way we know is did it work was to actually talk because the number one metric was quality of lead, not necessary just volume being pushed through. So I think those metrics are super important too, because they can determine what type of communication is appropriate, who should be responsible for it back to your point, you know, and just, just being willing to go the distance and not just thinking you can set and forget anything in a growth system. Like how ridiculous is that? It's the one thing that you want so much of, but then you just want a magic bullet or a magic wand, you know, <laughs> to be like done. Done forever. There's a finish line to marketing and sales. <laughs> no. uh, I wish I could find that magic one. Yeah. Right? I know. What you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to go around, and I'm going to start with you first. <laughs> oh, okay. I know. So as we wrap the show, what's the number one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to people around growth? Personal business? It can be either one. Yeah, either one. I mean, it's a weird world we live in, so go wherever you want to go. Encouragement around growth. Mm -hmm. 
Don't look at the person next to you. Build your build your confidence and your goal set with inside yourself. Ooh, and I think, you know, and go get them. That may seem higher than the person next to you. That's why I said that. That's Don't judge one. yourself to anyone in the room. Only learn from them and be better. Ooh, that is a good one. That has, I dropped the mic. <laughs> that has hurt me over the years. I really had to learn. Have mm. stopped paying attention to mm. those unicorn stories and you know, sick people's success stories because it would really just, I would come away being like, wow. And then immediately what's wrong with me. <laughs> like, so I'm like, I love that one. That's really good. All right, Chris, you're next. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would say anyone in business, if you're really setting growth goals and whether you're mature in a business and you just want the steady eddy growth or you're on the hockey stick or whatever it is, you know, be, be patient. Realize that um, there isn't a switch to flip. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic. There's no magic wand. Um, it's work. It's dedication. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's uh, it's not all linear. Right? It might not happen just like, oh, just perfect growth all the time. Oh, we're just growing perfectly all the time. Yes. You know, so um, every sales team, uh, when I if I went back to my corporate life, every sales team I ever took over, um, was functionally dysfunctional, and um, and usually it took me two plus years to really make it home, right? Um, so if you're a business, if you're an entrepreneurial business, just realize that hey, you know what? Yeah, you want it to go faster, and sometimes it does. But if it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're failing, and it doesn't mean necessarily that um, it's not going the way you the way that it should. Gotta be patient. I love that. And I'm just going to repeat that number that you said, two years to yeah. turn around you know, a, a sales team. That's huge because if you asked a business owner, if two years from now, your company looks so different and you have predictable and sustainable revenue growth that's profitable and it's fun, what would you do to get there? You know what the CEO would say? Anything. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because six months in or eight months, they're like, it's not working. Yep. Stop, stop. Like there's a maturation. So I think that's really brilliant advice because if they just don't cut themselves off, you know, that, that anything's possible. Well, my yeah. mother used to tell me patience is a virtue. And I didn't realize until I got older, she was telling me, have more damn patience. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not that she was telling me I was blessed by this patience. I was like, oh, it's a virtue. Really? I love this. <laughs> no, it's true, though. And to his point, it's not linear. It doesn't just, and it's not always the hockey stick, right? It looks like this, as long as it's continuing to go up. That's yeah. For. yeah, I love it. Okay, so do you have anything to add on to that? Uh, yeah, I would say stop as a as a you know business owner. Stop guessing and start knowing. And so the question is, well, what do you mean by knowing? Yeah. Well, ask the right questions. You know, follow the process. Know what questions to ask at what stages in the process. And this has to do with your overall business. But if you want to grow, you can't say, well, I think so, or I guess, or, yeah, I guess we can try that. Or maybe start knowing. But you have to ask the hard questions of yourself, of your clients, of your prospects. You have to know. 
What problems are you solving? Can you solve them? Is it a fair price to solve them? Ask the question, start knowing more. Stop guessing. That's so good. You know, I like to say sometimes you need to slow down in order to speed up. Yes. And you're really challenging people to go, I know you're excited about that thing, but just ask the right questions and really validate it and be willing to hear the real answer, not just what you want to hear. Correct. Yeah. Nice. I, I was kind of thinking that when you first started describing that as like kind of leave your ego at the door for a second mm -hmm. and ask, you know, and, and it's some of these small and mid-sized businesses that have been ran by the same person, the CEO, who was the salesman or is the salesman, mm -hmm. it's hard for them to do that. It and is. To say, hey, right, let's count on somebody else right now. Yeah. Daisy, how about you? Sure. When it comes to using marketing for growth, I think one of the important things to recognize is that change is going to happen. You are going to have to change the way you're doing things now in order to start marketing effectively. And you are going to need to continue to iterate over time, but it's important to pivot instead of flailing. So you need to have a reason and a rationale for why you're doing the thing in the first place. And if you're going to change it, you need to have a reason and a rationale for why you're changing it and why the next thing is going to be better. And you have to have the nerve to stick with something long enough to actually see results. Oh, I love that. My gosh, it's like there's a phrase in there. You know, there should be some sort of idea about change leadership. You know, like driving forward intentionally and being really thoughtful. Because that was an excellent extension off of what... Joe just said, so I think that's so on point. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, I will take it in a slightly different direction and just going back to that self-awareness piece, you know, you telling, you know, your friend and client, it's you. And that's hard to hear, you know, but there's so many things where you can get discouraged, you know, you can look to your left or right and feel like you're not good enough. You can maybe not be ready for change or, you know, you know, patient decision maker, I am one of those, you know, where it doesn't feel comfortable to not know the answer or just feels comfortable to be like, you know what, progress is progress, let's go. And that self-awareness journey, I think, is so, so important, you know, because I would say that I would encourage people from a self-awareness standpoint to broaden their definition of success and let it include them becoming their highest and best self, the impact that they have that does not necessarily relate it to the invoice. And then even when you're thinking about intentionality around growth, for what, like to what end? Because are you protecting your family? Are you protecting your heart? Are you protecting your integrity? You know, or is it costing you that, you know, and I think that's really, really important. And so just encouraging people that it's not just about the scorecard, you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I love a good goal. <laughs> I like to win. However, you know, it can hurt you just as much as it can help you by having that, you know, growth mindset, but that you don't want growth at all costs. So, What's your next book, Words of Wisdom? Deep thoughts. Yeah. God help us, Lord. <laughs> well, guys, thank yeah. you so much. This was amazing. Awesome. I'm so looking forward to work that we will get to do together in the future. And yeah, where can people find you guys? So, uh, 360consultingdfw.com. Um, and uh, we're, we're right here anytime. I love it. Yes. We only have two golden rules. We only work with people we know we can help, and uh, 
and we only work with people we like. Makes people it fun. We won't like them if they don't pay the bills. <laughs> I love it. So I will have all of y'all's links in the show notes. And if there's anything Wonderful. else you guys want to share, it'll be there. You guys, if you are not following them, you need to be. Chris, Joe, thank you guys so thank much. You, Daisy, our special guest. I know you'll be back multiple times as a special host. Special host. Special, special host. host. Special, special host. <laughs> Onward and upward. Awesome. Right, thank, thank you. you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.